Section 24 of Selected Interviews with Robert G. Ingersoll, Volume 2. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Interviewer's Questions, read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Ingersoll's Responses, read by J. Allen Brown, Rockwall, Texas. Interview Title, Protection for American Actors, published in the New York Star, December 23, 1888 first question it is reported that you have been retained as counsel for the actors order of friendship the edwin forrest lodge of new york and the shakespeare lodge of philadelphia for the purpose of securing the necessary legislation to protect american actors is that so ingersoll's answer yes i have been retained for that purpose and the object is simply that american actors may be put upon an equal footing with Americans engaged in other employments. There is a law now which prevents contractors going abroad and employing mechanics or skilled workmen and bringing them to this country to take the places of our citizens. No one objects to the English, German, and French mechanics coming with their wives and children to this country and making their homes here. Our ports are open and have been since the foundation of this government. Wages are somewhat higher in this country than in any other, and the man who really settles here, who becomes or intends to become an American citizen, will demand American wages. But if a manufacturer goes to Europe, he can make a contract there and bring hundreds and thousands of mechanics to this country who will work for less wages than the American. And a law was passed to prevent the American manufacturer, who was protected by a tariff, from burning the laborer's candle at both ends. That is to say, we do not wish to give him the American price by means of a tariff, and then allow him to go to Europe and import his labor at the European price. In the law, actors were accepted, and we now find the managers are bringing entire companies from the old country, making contracts with them there, and getting them at much lower prices than they would have had to pay for American actors. No one objects to a foreign actor coming here for employment, but we do not want an American manager to go there and employ him to act here no one objects to the importation of a star we wish to see and hear the best actors in the world but the rest of the company the support should be engaged in the united states if the star speaks english i see that it is contended over in england that english actors are monopolizing the american stage because they speak english while the average American actor does not. The real reason is that the English actor works for less money. He is the cheaper article. Certainly no one will accuse the average English actor of speaking English. The hemming and hawing, the aristocratic stutter, the dropping of H's and picking them up at the wrong time have never been popular in the United States, except by way of caricature. Nothing is more absurd than to take the ground that the English actors are superior to the American. I know of no English actor 
who can for a moment be compared with Joseph Jefferson, or with Edwin Booth, or with Lawrence Barrett, or with Denman Thompson, and I could easily name others. If English actors are so much better than American, how is it that an American star is supported by the English? Mary Anderson is certainly an American actress, and she is supported by English actors. Is it possible that the superior support the inferior? I do not believe that England has her equal as an actress. Her Hermione is wonderful, and the appeal to Apollo sublime. In Perdita, she takes the winds of March with beauty. Where is an actress on the English stage the superior of Julia Marlowe in genius, in originality, in naturalness? Is there any better Mrs. Malaprop than Mrs. Drew, and better Sir Anthony than John Gilbert? No one denies that the English actors and actresses are great. No one will deny that the plays of Shakespeare are the greatest that have been produced, and no one wishes in any way to belittle the genius of the English people. In this country, the average person speaks fairly good English, and you will find substantially the same English spoken in most of the country, whereas in England there is a different dialect in almost every county and most of the English people speak the language as if it was not their native tongue. I think it will be admitted that the English write a good deal better than they speak, and that their pronunciation is not altogether perfect. These things, however, are not worth speaking of. There is no absolute standard. They speak in the way that is natural to them, and we in the way that is natural to us. This difference furnishes no foundation for a claim of general superiority. The English actors are not brought here on account of their excellence, but on account of their cheapness. It requires no great ability to play the minor parts or the leading roles in some plays, for that matter. And yet acting is a business, a profession, a means of getting bread. We protect our mechanics and makers of locomotives and of all other articles, why should we not protect, by the same means, the actor? You may say that we can get along without actors. So we can get along without painters, without sculptors, and without poets. But a nation that gets along without these people of genius amounts to but little. We can do without music, without players, and without composers. But when we take art and poetry and music and the theater out of the world, it becomes an exceedingly dull place. Actors are protected and cared for in proportion that people are civilized. If the people are intelligent, educated, and have imaginations, they enjoy the world of the stage, the creations of poets, and they are thrilled by great music, and as a consequence, Respect the dramatist, the actor, and the musician. It is claimed that an amendment to the law, such as is desired, will interfere with the growth of art. No one is endeavoring to keep stars from this country. If they have American support, and the stars really know anything, the American actors will get the benefit. If they bring their support with them, 
the American actor is not particularly benefited, and the star, when the season is over, takes his art and his money with him. Managers who insist on employing foreign support are not sacrificing anything for art. Their object is to make money. They care nothing for the American actor, nothing for the American drama. They look for the receipts. It is the sheerest cant to pretend that they are endeavoring to protect art. On the 26th of February, 1885, a law was passed making it unlawful for any person, company, partnership, or corporation in any manner whatsoever to prepay the transportation or in any way assist or encourage the importation or emigration of any alien or aliens into the United States under contract or agreement, parole or special, previous to the importation or emigration of such aliens to perform labor or services of any kind in the United States. By this act, it was provided that its provisions should not apply to professional actors, artists, lecturers, or singers in regard to persons employed strictly as personal or domestic servants. The object now in view is so to amend the law that its provisions shall apply to all actors except stars. In this connection, there has been so much said about the art of acting. What is your idea as to that art? Above all things in acting, there must be proportion. There are no miracles in art or nature. All that is done, every inflection and gesture, must be in perfect harmony with the circumstances. Sensationalism is based on deformity and bears the same relation to proportion that caricature does to likeness. The stream that flows even with its banks, making the meadows green, delights us ever. The one that overflows surprises for a moment, but we do not want a succession of floods. In acting there must be natural growth, not sudden climax. The atmosphere of the situation the relation sustained to others should produce the emotions. Nothing should be strained. Beneath domes there should be buildings, and buildings should have foundations. There must be growth. There should be the bud, the leaf, the flower, in natural sequence. There must be no leap from naked branches to the perfect fruit. Most actors depend on climax. They save themselves for the supreme explosion. The scene opens with a slow match and ends when the spark reaches the dynamite. So most authors fill the first act with contradictions and the last with explanations. Plots and counterplots, violence and vehemence, perfect saints and perfect villains, that is to say, monsters impelled by improbable motives, meet upon the stage where they are pushed and pulled for the sake of the situation, and where everything is so managed that the fire reaches the powder and the explosion is the climax. There is neither time, nor climate, nor soil in which the emotions and intentions may grow. No land is plowed, 
no seed is sowed no rain falls no light glows the events are all orphans no one would enjoy a sudden sunset we want the clouds of gold that float in the azure sea no one would enjoy a sudden sunrise we are in love with the morning star with the dawn that modestly heralds the day and draws aside with timid hands the curtains of the night in other words we want sequence proportion logic beauty there are several actors in this country who are in perfect accord with nature who appear to make no effort whose acting seems to give them joy and rest we do well what we do easily it is a great mistake to exhaust yourself instead of the subject all great actors fill the stage because they hold the situation you see them and nothing else speaking of american actors colonel i believe you are greatly interested in the playing of miss marlowe and have given your opinion of her as parthenia what do you think of her julia and viola a little while ago i saw miss marlowe as julia in the hunchback we must remember the limitations of the play nothing can excel the simplicity the joyous content of the first scene nothing could be more natural than the excitement produced by the idea of leaving what you feel to be simple and yet good for what you think is magnificent brilliant and intoxicating it is only in youth that we are willing to make this exchange one does not see so clearly in the morning of life when the sun shines in his eyes in the afternoon when the sun is behind him he sees better he is no longer dazzled in old age we are not only willing but anxious to exchange wealth and fame and glory and magnificence for simplicity all the palaces are nothing compared with our little cabin and all the flowers of the world are naught to the wild rose that climbs and blossoms by the lowly window of content happiness dwells in the valleys with the shadows the moment julia is brought in contact with wealth she longs for the simple for the true love of one true man wealth and station are mockeries these feelings these emotions miss marlowe rendered not only with look and voice and gesture but with every pose of her body and when assured that her nuptials with the earl could be avoided the only question in her mind was as to the absolute preservation of her honor not simply in fact but in appearance so that even hatred could not see a speck upon the shining shield of her perfect truth in this scene she was perfect everything was forgotten except the desire to be absolutely true so in the scene with master walter when he upbraids her for forgetting that she is about to meet her father when excusing her forgetfulness on the ground that he has been to her a father nothing could exceed the delicacy and tenderness of this passage every attitude expressed love gentleness and a devotion even unto death 
one felt that there could be no love left for the father she expected to meet master walter had it all a greater julia was never on the stage one in whom so much passion mingled with so much purity miss marlowe never oversteps the modesty of nature she maintains proportion the river of her art flows even with the banks in viola we must remember the character a girl just rescued from the sea disguised as a boy employed by the duke whom she instantly loves sent as his messenger to woo another for him olivia enamored of the messenger forced to a duel mistaken for her brother by the captain and her brother taken for herself by olivia and yet in the midst of these complications and disguises she remains a pure and perfect girl these circumstances having no more real effect upon her passionate and subtle self than clouds on stars when malvolio follows and returns the ring the whole truth flashes upon her she is in love with orsino this she knows olivia she believes is in love with her the edge of the situation the dawn of this entanglement excites her mirth in this scene she becomes charming an impersonation of spring her laughter is as natural and musical as the song of a brook so in the scene with olivia in which she cries make me a willow cabin at your gate she is the embodiment of grace and her voice is as musical as the words and as rich in tone as they are in thought in the duel with sir andrew she shows the difference between the delicacy of woman and the cowardice of man she does the little that she can not for her own sake but for the sake of her disguise she feels that she owes something to her clothes but i have said enough about this actress to give you an idea of one who is destined to stand first in her profession we will now come back to the real question i am in favor of protecting the american actor i regard the theater as the civilizer of man all the arts united upon the stage and the genius of the race has been lavished on this mimic world this ends our interview protection for american actors